1: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 388 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday morning, February 8th, 2022, and uh, Duke lost a close game, the closest of games. It was a one-point victory for the Virginia Cavaliers in Cameron last night, 69-68, to 68, on what's effectively a buzzer beater for Reese Beekman, a three-pointer that gave UVA the lead. It was the first time in the game that UVA even was considered the favorite, according to Ken Pomeroy. We will get into all of that. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined by Jason Evans and Donald Wine, as I always am. I guess, Donald, how are you?
4: I'm tired. We're recording this at like 8.15 because we're gluttons for punishment. We have to get up here and talk about this. Frustrating, frustrating game.
2: Um, but that's what we're here for.
1: Jason Evans is also here, I guess.
2: Yeah. Uh I mean Donald Donald said it pretty well. Frustrating. I'm I'm angry. Um not angry that Duke lost, but angry that I I thought Duke didn't play with much intensity. They um I I hate to say it because I almost never feel this way, but Virginia deserved to win. I think there's little question about that.
1: All right, so let's talk about the details of this game. And, of course, we also have to spend a few minutes at the end re-previewing Clemson. I think I, think I, I hosted the last time we previewed Clemson and told you we're just going to keep previewing Clemson until, until the heat death of the universe this season. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so I guess we'll start with headlines. Jason, I'll let you go first on your headline. What would you have in Duke's
2: extremely close loss? To Virginia. Hard working calves down overconfident Duke.
1: I like that. Donald
4: closed mouths remain unfed and let down loss for Duke.
1: I merely had whiplash. That's it. Just whiplash.
2: Yeah. hey, I, we got I, one I, from the K Man. Did you see we got one from the K Man? David. No, Kerman. what did the K Man say? David Kerman said devils hung over get hosed at home by who's. A lot of alliteration there. (laughs) Ooh, the alliteration He knows knows
1: we like the alliteration. Yeah. Thank you, K, man. I appreciate that. All right, guys, we're still going to do the good and then the bad, as we often do, but something tells me that the amount of time that we spend in those sections relative to each other is going to be somewhat different than it was after the Carolina game. So, Donald, give me a good from this game between Duke and UVA. I, I don't want this good to get lost,
4: so I'm going to start with it. Bates Jones came off the bench, and I thought when he was in the game, provided a lot of energy. Things that were missing, he he hit two threes. Those were just two shots of the game, uh, and they were crucial threes. But also, it was funny. I was joking with my best friend during the game. I'm like, I did not expect to see Bates Jones in this game, like at the 10 minute mark of the first half. But that's kind of what we've been where we've been seeing him enter games in the past few weeks. Uh, him coming in, but basically since we discussed him right before that Syracuse game, we've seen him appear earlier and earlier in games. And it's not because of things necessarily going bad, but because of what he's contributing on the floor. So I want to start by shouting him out because I
1: thought he had a good night when he was on the floor. And Duke was down in the first half to UVA. I said that the win probability still favored the blue devils, but, but Duke was down by like 10, 12 points there in the first half. So Coach K was looking for a spark uh, and was clearly not getting it from his guys. Jason, any good other than Bates Jones that you want to highlight?
2: Yeah. So I, I sort of was going to the, I thought the whole bench, um, it wasn't just Bates Jones. I, I thought Theo, John, Theo played a lot more minutes than he usually does because, Mark Williams, yeah, because Mark Williams is in foul trouble. And, and I thought Theo, you know, looked pretty good. Um, I thought Trevor Keels, it felt to me like he was closer to his old self than we've seen. Um, You know, in a game where Duke seemed pretty tentative, Trevor was the guy who was taking the ball to the hard, taking it hard to the basket down the stretch over and over and over again. And he was, I mean, he wasn't super successful, but he wasn't unsuccessful at it either. Uh, He created opportunities for himself or for others. He ended up with four assists, um, 12 points in a game where Duke struggled to score points. Uh, he drew four fouls on UVA, and he ended, Trevor Keels ended with a team leading plus minus a plus nine. Um, anytime there's a guy who puts up a plus nine in a game where your team loses, you know, that that opens your eyes a little bit. You're like, oh, you know, hey, what 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 was he doing that was so different from everybody else? So I thought our bench play was, was pretty strong. It was pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to segue too much into the bad, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure anyone other than the bench had a good game. So, uh, I, I, I got to shout out the bench guys, by the way, one other interesting thing just to note was that usually if you're talking about Duke's bench contributing, you'd be talking about Joey Baker. Joey only played two minutes. in this. Not even not quite two minutes in this game. He had, he had a nice shot in the lane that he hit. Um, wasn't necessarily a great shot, but he knocked it down. Uh, but it was like, Joey couldn't even get it in the game. I think maybe because. Bates Jones was playing, you know, better than expected. And so Bates was getting more minutes than Joey was, but, uh, um, but our, our, our bench play was my only good thing from this game.
1: <laughs> I also wanted to highlight the Cameron crazies because they were great yesterday. The, the atmosphere in Cameron was good, despite the the process and the outcome that was happening on the floor. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that everybody was fired up after the, the Carolina game and I, I was with you guys. I'm not sure that, that there's much from the starters that we need to highlight. So why don't we talk about the bad?
4: I, I, will, I will note real quick on Mark Williams. Uh, he led the team with 16 points. He was one of two guys in double figures. And if memory serves, I think this is the first time this year that he has led the team in scoring. Um, so I, when we're talking about the stats sure. game, I, I, someone could double check me on that. But I thought, I thought there was one where he was like close, but didn't actually get it. But I will say, despite everything, despite being in foul trouble, leading the team in points uh, means that he was active under the basket. And, you know, we've talked about him. He had three blocks. Theo John had had three blocks and also Paula Bancaro had three blocks. So, you know, leading with with him when he was in the game, I think our defense fundamentally changes, even with Theo John playing, you know, pretty good. It's just that they they went after Theo John in the way that they can't go after Mark Williams because Mark Williams is taller than everybody else on the floor. And so when he was there, I think that's why their focus was to try and get him out of the game because it does change that interior defense significantly.
2: How how crazy is it that Duke blocked nine shots in a game where we absolutely got dominated in the paint? It's right. <laughs> it's like insane. Well, the the reason that that happened is that,
1: and, and, and maybe this is part of our transition to the bad, but UVA was oh, we're just there. attacking we're there. the rim, right? <laughs> yes. UVA, yeah. UVA was attacking the rim yesterday. They really couldn't until, you know, until right at the end, UVA could not make a three to save their lives. And, and Duke was, was hounding them off the three point line again for most of the night. So what was UVA doing being the well-coached team that they are, they were going into the paint and yes, we're going to get blocks. When teams are, are shooting most of their shots in the paint, but we're also going to give up layups or at least Duke's going to give up layups. If they're not being careful about the way they're playing defense in the interior, by the way, before we fully transition to this topic, Donald, you are correct. Yesterday was the first time that Mark Williams led the team in scoring this season. So if you're, if you're uh, counting at home, We've now had Mark Williams, Paulo Bencaro, of course, he's led the team in scoring in, in almost every game. But Trevor Keels has a couple. Wendell Moore has a couple um, and A.J. Griffin has a couple. So I think that's five now guys yeah. on this team that have led the team in scoring. Jeremy Roach doesn't have one yet, uh, uh, nor do any of the other uh, sort of <laughs> lower in the in the rotation guy uh uh, players. But anyway, Joey
2: Baker came, Joey Baker came. I feel like Joey Baker was like our second leading scorer in one game. He came close. He has come time. close
1: and he certainly has the ability to, if he just has that game where he decides to, you know, hit seven, three pointers, which we know he's capable of. He just hasn't done yet. Okay. Can we talk about Duke allowing points in the paint? I feel like this is the, the main topic of the game today. Right, Jason?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand how, uh, what are their names? Caden Shedrick. And well, I didn't Francisco like him. Francisco Cafaro. Like <laughs> how did these guys just dominate Duke in the paint? What the heck was going on? Uh, it's just, it's so, it was really, really, it was just frustrating. I, 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 you know, easy shots to me were one of the, one of the big keys in this game. And Virginia would get the ball in the lane. They'd get the ball around the basket and they would finish. And Duke just didn't. Duke repeatedly missed shots at the rim. They missed wide open three pointers. I mean, AJ Griffin, who 48 hours ago, Sam was calling our best offensive player, couldn't even hit a wide open dunk. AJ had a dunk at one point, and there was no one really near him, and he just clanked it off the back of the rim. That, that moment <sighs> felt yeah. like I, I, you know. That was when I'm, I thought, I was, that was the moment I thought Duke was going to look. I was like, oh, we're going to yeah, lose. Exactly. This
1: game. Normally, yeah, exactly. Normally, normally, this
2: is the, I that's the Duke frustrating to win.
1: Part. I usually think Duke is going to win right until they lose, uh, at least in a game where, the, where things are close. I, I typically think Duke is going to pull out the victory. I even thought that like they put a few extra ticks back on the clock after Beekman's last three yesterday, and I was like, this is great. Duke is, Duke is clearly going to win this game after all of that stupidity, but the moment where AJ Griffin missed the dunk, I was like, what is going on here tonight? Uh, as you said, Jason, the the offensive ineptitude, and I, and I guess we're switching away from from UVA's points in the paint and talking about Duke's offense a little bit. Duke's inability to get to to finish that was part of it, but also Duke's inability to to get good shots. I know that UVA has you know the, the defensive fundamentals, but we talked in the preview about how this UVA team is not you know peak Tony Bennett vintage. They they don't execute the defense as well, or at least they don't normally execute the defense as well as as they have in previous seasons, but it felt like they were running Duke off of good spots. Paulo Banqueiro was not getting the ball in advantageous positions a lot last night. UVA was, you know, if not completely shutting down his game, forcing him into slightly less efficient places on the floor to receive the ball, you know, not allowing Paulo to take advantage of the of the one-on-one of the isolation, which he's been so good at this season, they they reclog the lane and, and make him take a um make him take a mid-range or a long-range jumper, and and you just lower those percentages a little bit for Duke, and you raise them a little bit for
2: UVA, and all of a sudden this is a UVA victory. Yeah, Duke, Duke hits forty-two percent of of their field goals in this game, and and our 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 two-point field goals we just didn't we didn't connect on our two point field goals at all in the way that we're supposed to. And UVA, you know, credit to them about this, but, but this is a bad because Duke needs to figure out a way to adjust. They were doubling Paulo a lot. Like as Paulo would get closer to the lane, UVA would send someone to double. And he was doing a decent job of finding his teammates. He ended up with, with three assists. Um, But, but Duke needed to knock down those baskets more when paulo got rid of the ball uh, duke was I, I thought duke should have duke had three pointers i mean wide open three pointers they just clanged off the rim and we had the right guys duke, taking them duke and then, also
1: suffered by the way jason duke also suffered from coughing the ball up against that uva pressure you
2: know, well yeah UVA, i was going to get to that my favorite uva stat. had
1: uva had 10 steals yesterday duke duke turned the ball over 15 times so so UVA was creating the pressure and making Duke uncomfortable. It's actually somewhat surprising that I don't think we've seen more of that double teaming on Paulo and more of the, you know, aggressive defense against Duke this season, because I think if we going into this game were to point out like one of the flaws that Duke has, AJ Griffin has stopped a little bit of this, but Duke doesn't have that many reliable offensive weapons. So you can, uh, against the blue devils, double on, on the guys who really are key offensive threats for Duke and, and, frustrate them, which is exactly what UVA was trying to do.
2: So, so really quick, I was about to say my favorite stat: field goal attempts because of those 15 turnovers, because Duke and UVA basically were even on the offensive boards and UVA is not usually a good offensive rebounding team. So Duke, that that's a, that's a negative for Duke for us to be even with them. Um, but because of those turnovers and UVA only committing five turnovers they outshot us. UVA took 65 field goal attempts to only 52 for Duke. Now, a little piece of that is the fact that Duke went to the free throw line more than UVA did. Um, and, and, and we were actually, this is actually a game, you know, one of the few positives, we should have mentioned this in the good. Duke got to the, when Duke was struggling to score, they got to the free throw line and they converted those free throws. We hit 81% of our, our free throws. That's a good number. But oh, if you get outshot by 13 shots from the field, You're gonna have to shoot a high percentage and Duke did not shoot a high percentage. You know, the the math is easy. If you take more shots, you're probably going to win unless you don't shoot. Well, Duke took less shots and Duke didn't shoot. Well, you can't win in that circumstances. It's frankly a miracle. Looking at some of the stats, it's shocking that Duke only lost this game by one point. So there's a lot of, uh, of
4: things that I can combine into very, you know, just one sentence. And honestly, I didn't even say it. This was something that Coach K said in his post game press conference. UVA was hungrier, full stop. They were going after every loose ball. They were go, like taking it, taking the game to us as opposed to sitting back. You know, I know the pack line defense is one where you're supposed to sit back and let the defense kind of the offense kind of mess it up, but they were taking their game to us, not the other way around. And in yeah, Cameron, like I said, they deserve they deserve to win, and, yeah, and that should be our bottom line. Yeah, we were sloppy. We obviously had a letdown from the U, uh, the UNC game over the weekend, and there is all these intangibles that just little things that just made the difference. You pointed out the free throws. You pointed out the the turnovers. It, it was just sloppy. Even and and here's the thing. Here's the mental thing. Right when we got to within, we were up twelve or we were down twelve late in the first half with two eighteen left in the first half. UVA hits a three pointer. We're down twelve. And from there, we started clawing back ever so slightly. We'd get to within one, and then we'd hit a wall. They would make a couple of layups. Then they we're down five. We'd get back to within one. It seemed like that barrier was one. So like late in the game, when we finally took the lead, I told my friends, "Like, hey, if we've been trying to break through this, bust through this barrier for the entire game. We finally busted through. Now we got to hold it. We've talked about this part before, our end of game execution our end of half execution has been awful the entire season. It's the one black mark I would say that we have. We have some things that we do well or just maybe be inconsistent, but this is one that we consistently do not do well, and that's the end of half or end of game execution. We just don't have the plays, or or at least the guys are not getting into position to make plays. I mentioned that three-pointer that UVA made with 218 left in the first half. The only other three-pointer they made in the game was the one with one second left it it's just is what it is when it comes to that but for us it's about sloppiness it's about playing lazy and it's about the other team wanting it more than duke
2: which is very rarely done in cameron Indoor stadium donald i want to talk about that final play uh not just the final play but the, the the final the final minute or so of the game because Duke, because now I lost four games this season by a total of nine points. That takes hard work. <laughs> and all four of those games,
4: we were ahead with under two minutes to go. At some point within the last two minutes, we were
2: ahead, and we lost all four of those yeah. games. In, in, in the three ACC games, we had a lead in the final minute in all three of those games. In fact, I think, I could be wrong, but I think Duke had the lead and the ball in the final minute of each of those games and failed to close it out. You know, because those are situations, if you have the lead and the ball in the final minute, pretty much if you can get a score, you're going to win. And Duke has failed to score every single time in those situations. In this game, it was Paula Bancaro, who frankly, to me, looked afraid to shoot. He takes the ball in the lane on Duke's final, I guess it's Duke's final possession, even though they, they got one more possession when they threw up a desperation three. You know, Duke's final real possession Apollo drives to the middle, and I thought he actually got to a point where he could put up a shot, but he chose not to. He, he he chose to make a pass in the lane instead. There are like five bodies in there. The ball gets knocked around, and UVA ends up coming out with it. And and his decision not to shoot there was disastrous, in my opinion. But but what I really want to get to is the actual final play because Duke played good defense, I thought, down the stretch. I mean, the reason Duke got back in this game was they kept they, – they kept Virginia from scoring, and Duke slowly clawed their way back when Virginia had a lead throughout the entire second half of this contest. And on the final play, this is going to seem crazy. I think Mark Williams didn't know what defense Duke was playing. I think Mark Williams thought Duke was in his zone, not in a man-to-man. Because if you watch that final play, Reese Beekman is inbounding the ball, and Duke has put Mark Williams on the guy who's inbounding the ball, which, which makes sense. Mark is long Um, you know, he's tough to see around. It makes it harder for that guy inbounding the ball. As soon as Reese Beekman inbounds it, Mark Williams leaves him and goes to the middle of the zone. He goes under the basket. You know, he goes to the the paint so he can protect the rim. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is it means no one's guarding Reese Beekman. And, and so Reese Beekman inbounds the ball. And, and, you know, it's always said in basketball, the most dangerous guy in an inbounds play is the guy who's passing the ball in. He then walks out to the three point line. No one from Duke pays any attention to him. No one's close to him. And so Kihei Clark passes him the ball and he has time to tie his shoes, check the weather, you know, do everything else before hitting the game winning three pointer. Um, at first, I thought it was Jeremy Roach's fault because Jeremy Roach is like trying to fight around a screen in the post. Jeremy Roach, for some reason, is guarding Virginia's tallest player. And I was like, oh, how did Roach get, get stuck there? It wasn't Jeremy Roach. It was that Mark will if you watch the play, if you watch the replay, which which I did at least five times, <laughs> Mark Williams just walks away from Reese Beekman and leaves him completely all alone. So uh, between Paulo not taking a shot, he should have taken in the lane. Although it's worth noting, he's knocked off balance because the refs were allowing Virginia to interfere with with our drives. With with When Duke got the ball, Virginia uglied up the game. That, that's, you know, that's what they wanted to do. Um, but on the final play, I, I think, I think, frankly, Mark Williams makes a mental mistake. I, I think he thought Duke was in his own because there's no other reason for him to completely leave his man and go cover no one. Jason, remember a couple of weeks ago when you tried
4: to ask Coach K a question about Paulo Bancaro not seeing the ball for the first team 15 minutes of the second half, and it was kind of a cripply little answer? Do you want to know the first time Paulo Bancaro took a shot in this, in this second half? the last play of the game. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Uh, although, uh, you know, that wasn't, to me, that wasn't the same as that Florida State game where, where Paulo didn't, you know, didn't touch the ball. He was touching the ball. It was that Virginia, like I said, every time he tried to move with the ball, Virginia was putting a body on him, knocking him off his spot, double teaming him and forcing him to pass. So uh, it, it, it's Virginia... To me, that caused Paulo to have the bad second half, not Duke. In the, against Florida State, it was Duke that caused him to have a bad second half. But Duke's got to figure out a way. If a team's being physical on Paulo, he's a big guy. We should be able to figure out a way to be physical back and take advantage of them double teaming him and all that other kind of stuff. And that's, that's, you know, that to me was the story of the game was that when Paulo would get the ball, he uh, he couldn't get a shot and Duke didn't get a good shot out of his passing out of the double teams.
1: Jason, going back to the final play, because I appreciate you breaking it down for us. What was surprising to me is that Duke, not just Mark Williams, but that the team in general didn't have as much of a focus on stopping the three-pointer. Because that's, you know, UVA was, of course, trying to get that to, to end the game and not have to go to overtime and deal with the crowd and the atmosphere and everything. So how Duke was not, was not focused on on having guys in the perimeter. I don't know if that's just a Mark Williams problem or that he read the defense wrong, as you said, like like he didn't know which which defense we were playing, but it wasn't just Mark Williams. I think that that the whole team needed to be on higher alert
2: for, for the three-pointer in that instance. Well, yeah, you know they're going to take a three. Think about the percentages. So even though UVA was having a terrible game from three, most teams are about 30% to hit a three-pointer. So at that point in the game, you can either take a two- and, you know, maybe you're 50, maybe you get a really good shot. You're 60% to hit that two and send the game to overtime where in theory you're 50, 50, or you have a 30% chance to win by taking a three. Every team in that situation probably takes the three pointer. May you know, there, maybe if you're, if you think you're clearly better in those extra five minutes, you'll be able to assert that you're better. But for the most part, teams take a three there because the odds say that's your best chance to win and I actually thought, Sam, Duke was guarding all the other three-point shooters. It was just the guy who inbounded the ball that Mark Williams walked away from Right, that was the guy who got open. I, don't, I, and, I, I can't blame the rest of the team for that. And, I'm, and to be clear, I'm not saying it's Mark's fault that we lost or anything like that. Um, but on that last play, the reason Reese Beekman is wide open is because Mark Williams doesn't bother to guard him. And no one else on Duke guarded him. And I don't uh, – uh, you know, teams play defense – Together, but I don't think anyone else is supposed to guard him. Duke has now lost
1: four games this season by a total, I think, of like ten points. Nine, or, points. Or nine points. Nine points. Yeah. That's uh, a bit, yeah. In in ACC play, Duke has three losses, two of which are at home. But uh, in the in the context of last season, just losing two home games is really okay for Duke. They're on the way back up, and hopefully, there are no more this season. But in the three ACC losses, Duke has lost by a total of four points. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the execution in this game was, was pretty poor for Duke. Hopefully they can learn from this. My, my immediate reaction to this game after being frustrated that Duke's, uh, that Duke's offense was not able to, to figure out Virginia's defense here is man, there are so many learning opportunities that are coming out of this for Paulo to learn how to deal with the double team for Duke players to deal with, you know, not having the shots fall and, and you know, all the, all the bad stuff I feel like is hopefully things that, that Duke can recover from down the stretch.
4: Yeah, it, honestly, I will say this. This is not a sky is falling moment. This is probably the most frustrating loss in my mind that we've had this season, but this is still not a sky is falling moment because of what you just said, Sam. All these games, as bad as we played last night, as frustrating as that game was, we lost by one point. As frustrating as that game was against Miami, we lost by, what, two points. We lost by one against Florida State. We lost by two again in overtime. Yeah, it took overtime to do that. So, like, there's little things that here or there, again, if we execute a one play here, if we make a stop here, we're winning that game by 10 as opposed to losing by one. The These are little things that we can work out now. Obviously, we want to work them out now and not have to worry about this in March or April. But These are little things that make me believe the sky is not falling because after all that, we are still one of the top 10 teams in the country. And it took all of
2: that effort just to beat us by one point. That's like, that's where we are at this moment. Yeah. And and, I mean, Paula Bancaro and AJ Griffin, who might be Duke's two best players. um, I think probably at least two of our three best players along with Wendell Moore uh, had, had arguably, they're two worst games of the season. I'm not counting the games early in the year when AJ was coming back from injury and and wasn't really playing. Since AJ started playing, um, this was his worst game. And and I think over the, the course of the entire season, I think this is probably Paulo's worst game. So, so two of Duke's best players, two of our three best players, arguably our two best offensive players, have their worst games of the season. And and Duke still only loses by one. So so that's encouraging. By the way, AJ, do you see AJ's plus minus? AJ Griffin's plus minus was minus 15. Whew. We were <laughs> unheard of considering that he's usually one of the guys that
4: leads the team in plus minus.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it was a one-point game. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's it's tough to put up a negative 15 in a one-point game when you're a starter. That is that's yeah, not uh, easy
1: not, not not great. Okay. So speaking of learning from this loss, speaking of of close games in ACC play. And speaking of teams that Duke has already played this season, there's too many points of transition here. Duke gets Clemson on Thursday night uh, in little John. This is a makeup game from the game that was canceled or postponed earlier this season because of COVID issues. We are going to preview that game very briefly. Of course, Duke has already played Clemson, but we're going to talk about that a little bit
2: right after this quick break. Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, co-workers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of
4: starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: So as we mentioned in, in the discussion of close games, Duke played Clemson uh, just a few weeks ago. It was a game in Cameron that Duke won by a mere 71 to 69 margin, despite Clemson being you know, similar to a lot of other teams in the ACC on the wrong side of the bubble, according to to all the advanced metrics. Duke gets another shot, or I guess the the Tigers get another shot at Duke this Thursday in Little John. Uh, Duke is Duke is on the road there in a place where uh, in recent seasons, I think Duke has been a little bit better. But there, there is some some terrible history in Little John for Duke. So we're hoping that the Blue Devils avoid a losing streak. I want to start with Donald here in the preview for Clemson. We don't have to be maybe as detailed as we were the first time around. But Donald, what has happened to Clemson uh, since that game in Cameron a few weeks ago? Yeah. So
4: right now, or since we last faced them on January 25th, Clemson has beaten Florida State and they've lost to Georgia Tech. They play UNC. We're recording on Tuesday, February 8th. They play UNC at home tonight. So they will be operating off of short rest. So for us, I think Coach K is probably going to want them to get back to the basics of what, like coming together as a team. We're going on the road someplace that, you know, the road again, after the UNC game, Jason and I and Sam, we talked about the fact that we had just won three road games in a row and that this team had come together in a way they hadn't so far this season. They need to get back to that. They're going into a gym that, as you mentioned, we don't play well. And we have to come out with the hunger and the fire and the intensity and the desire that we did when we were on the road for the last week and a half before coming back to Cameron last night. So that's what I want to see from Duke. Again, Clemson came in with the same intensity that UVA did and we barely beat them. We need to bring that intensity to them and Little John, and if we do, we should be able to win this ball game by about six or seven points at least. But Clemson is a team that always gets fired up for this game. This will be no exception. Jason, I know you're planning on being in the building on Thursday, so bring a little bit of that mojo, will you?
2: I, I will do my best. I will definitely try. Yeah, uh, it's not 100%, but it, I'm probably going to be up there sitting on press row watching – Duke play Clemson. Um, It's a pretty easy drive from Atlanta. Just waiting on approval of my press credentials. Uh, You know, this Clemson team, they are guard oriented. And I I think, yeah, we already saw they They present some challenges for Duke. Um, They're an excellent three-point shooting team. They hit 38% of their threes. They don't turn the ball over very much. They're a good passing team that gets a lot of assists. They attack the rim, which means they get their shots blocked a lot. But, you know, they're they're a tough matchup, I think, for Duke. The the one thing I think that is really different from last time that we need to point out is that Hunter Tyson, who is their power forward and and a very experienced player and and a valuable, a big part of what Clemson does in the game, is injured and, and almost certainly will not be playing in this game. And it really changes their look up front. Clemson's not a particularly deep team. And they get even more shallow without Hunter Tyson. He was the guy who guarded Paulo Bancaro most of the last game. Um, And uh, they're just, you know, Clemson's going to struggle to have a guy who can match up with Paulo quite as well. It's probably going to be Naz Bohannon or uh, Ian Schifrin um, or Schiflin. I can't even pronounce that guy's name who will, um, uh, who will, you know, match up with, uh, with Paulo and, Uh, those guys are just not they're just not Hunter Tyson that's that's just you know as simple as it is and Duke's big men gave Clemson trouble last time Paulo had 19 and 7 Mark Williams had a double double Um, I think you know without Hunter Tyson our size becomes an even bigger problem for Clemson this time around And, and then the other guy it's worth noting who had a good game last time was Joey Baker he scored 11 points hit um, three of four, I think it was three-point field goals. Joey's seen his role on the team diminish a little bit more. Bates Jones has been getting more and more time and getting more time than Joey. Um, uh, it'd be nice for Joey to get a bounce-back kind of game. Uh, and then the last thing I want to mention about Clemson, and this is, this is kind of interesting, you know, they, they play, Little John's a small coliseum for, for the ACC. It's even smaller than Cameron. And uh, their, their crowd gets pretty rowdy there. Uh, Clemson actually has one of the best home court advantages. The difference in playing Clemson at home and on the road is a big deal. Ken Pomeroy actually tracks, you know, sort of your results at home versus your results on the road. And what does that say about your home court advantage? He says that Clemson has the 25th best home court advantage in all of college basketball. That's a big deal. He says that they're about four points better at home than they are, you know, in a neutral stadium. So you know, this this gives Clemson this is a game that Clemson's going to feel like they have a chance to win, um, especially, you know, they'll, they'll have confidence from the last game where it came down to the last possession. And, uh, you know, I really hope that we see a confident and aggressive Duke, not the Duke that we saw against Virginia that was tentative. Duke, I think, has
1: has a clear advantage over Clemson in terms of size and physicality in this game. Clemson has PJ Hall who's a who's a big guy but he's not a not an imposing sort of interior threat. He's more of a shooter than he is a, an interior player and I want to see Duke and especially Jason you mentioned Tyson being out. I want to see Duke exploit the size advantage. Trevor Keels didn't play in that first game against Clemson. He was still out. He was hurt. He's back now. Um, Duke has Duke has everybody else healthy and I want to see and AJ Griffin didn't have a great game against Clemson I think in his Um, you know, in, in his recent uh, uh, emergence as a key offensive and defensive threat for Duke, that Clemson game was one of his down games. I want to see Griffin and keels both have big impacts here. And I want Duke's big men, Paulo and, and Mark Williams and maybe Theo John to a lesser extent to also assert themselves. I've said that one of the things that Duke should have an advantage in over most teams, you know, before they get to like the sweet 16 this year, is that Duke has size and physicality that most teams can't match. I want to see them use that to their advantage against Clemson. And and like you were saying, Jason, take the crowd out of this game because that Clemson crowd is is notorious against Duke. They will be looking to steal this
2: victory. You know, one thing that Donald mentioned that we should not overlook, uh, Clemson, like he said, plays North Carolina tonight. They're going to have, you know, barely 48 hours, less than 48 hours from the end of the Carolina game to the start of the Duke game. And uh, without Hunter Tyson, this is a team that is really shallow, really thin. They, they're going to have to play their starters a lot tonight against the Tar Heels. And uh, I think fatigue could be a real factor for Clemson when playing Duke. Uh, that's, you know, it's not often that you say, oh, Duke gets a little scheduling advantage. That could be a little scheduling advantage for the Blue Devils this time.
1: It's funny that, uh, you know, Duke had... Duke, had, I think five games from the last Clemson game. If I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, Duke's had five games since the since the last. Yeah, it Clemson feels like game. a long
2: time ago. But for them, it's like it's nothing. And for <laughs> Clemson,
1: it was only three games because they're they're like ACC by you know the 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 hole in their schedule, the intentional hole in their schedule was right after the first game against Duke. So and we were uh, supposed to have is, that. We were supposed to have that, but for the rescheduling of the Notre Dame game, right? And uh, and and so there's a there's a weird mismatch here of of time off. So uh, maybe that's an advantage for Duke, but we will see. So that will do it for episode 388 of the Duke basketball Report podcast. We will be back after that Clemson game because Duke uh, turns around right after that and goes to Boston college. So we'll be back to talk about BC after the Clemson game. Stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe everywhere that you find podcasts. Hopefully you've already done that. We'll talk to you again soon for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine. I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 388 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.